Hi, my name is Bonnie, and I am a grateful member of Al-Anon. And it's just great to be in Nebraska. I have so many friends here, old friends, and I'm sure some new friends. Uh, it's just great to see everybody. Um, there comes a friend coming down the aisle now. Um, it's great to be here. I just, um, first of all, I want to thank uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I think it, I'm really so grateful that you include Al-Anon. And to have an Al-Anon speaker on Friday, and to have two Al-Anon speakers, that's really terrific. So I, you know, um, another great Al-Anon pal of mine just passed away, Blanche. She always said, you know, you were, which I totally agree, you graciously shared the disease with us. Thank you so much for sharing the recovery with us. So thanks for letting us be here. And we're all on the same team, really. I think sometimes there's these two camps, AA and Al-Anon, but you know, Al-Anons are just, uh, we're just people who love alcoholics, you know. And uh, I can't think of a place I'd rather be. So thank you so much. Um, we drove, we flew in last night, and then we drove. And you know, the neat thing I think after a number of years in the program. Oh, I wanted to say I always, um, I've had 28 continuous years of serenity since <laughs> April 30th, 1974. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> hey, you always get to say that. It, it hasn't been continuous. If you believe that, you know, then you better keep coming back. Uh, but we drove in, and, um, you know, some things get better and some things just don't change. I hate to tell you that after a certain amount of years in the program. Because we were driving along, and um, and we really didn't have the directions how to get here. Or I didn't think we had the directions, right? And so I said to Sean, maybe we should stop at a gas station and find out where, what exit we're supposed to get off. And he said, no, no, it's, you know, Grand Island. How big can it be? There's only... <laughs> So we went past one exit, 318. I said, we should have gotten off there. And he said, no, because I got this brochure. Well, I was at the hotel last night, and I got a brochure, Grand Island, because I didn't trust him about where we were going. So it said, get off at 312. So I knew we were okay. So we got to 312. So we had, you know, I said, well, maybe we should stop. I don't know where the hotel is. We don't know where Ramada Street is. Did you ask anybody, Sean? No, but it's got to be here somewhere, you know. So... I thought, you know, this is what it used to be like. You know, should we stop at the restroom? No. And, you know, then I realized, see, and this is where I've changed. I was driving. <laughs> we could have stopped at the, you know, we could have stopped at any gas station. Anyway, but you see, I would have never known I had that choice. And then just when I realized that I was driving the car, that we saw the sign for the Riverside Inn. So, some things get better and some things remain the same, you know. So, um, you know, the other, I think, wonderful thing is um, Jesus having a sense of humor about each other. It took us a long time. And I think it took me a long time to have a sense of humor about myself, you know, because when I came into Al-Anon, I was perfect. Uh, you know, I was absolutely perfect. And, and the reason being that if I wasn't perfect, I was worthless is really the way it would be. And... Um, and now I can have a sense of humor about my defects of character, and I know that a lot of it's just who I am, too, you know, and it's perfectly all right. And a lot of it is who Sean is, who the alcoholic is, and some of that is never going to change, right? <laughs> and I've learned to accept that, too, and have a sense of humor about each other. So, um, yeah, I've grown because, you know, I, I take yoga class regularly, and at the end of my yoga class, um, there's a rest period where it's, quiet as can be and you can hear a pin drop and it just sort of relax and go into meditation and I coughed and I coughed so loud but what happened is now that I'm over 50 when I cough I don't know if anybody else have this problem but when I cough I fart you know <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know if it anyway it was like the fart that was heard around the world you know and I started laughing so hard that I had to leave I had to leave the room and sort of compose myself. Anyway, when I got home that night, because there's another Al-Anon buddy of mine who takes yoga, and I said, um, did you hear somebody cough and fart? And, and she said, yes, wasn't that unbelievable? She said, I didn't know where that came from. And I said, well, that was me. And so, and, you know, I would never let anybody know that before, you know. So, um, anyway, I'm glad to be here. Um, 
I was raised in a typical alcoholic home, a very normal alcoholic home, in Cleveland, Ohio, where the first AA meeting actually was. And I was raised in a very old-world Polish Catholic home. And um, my father liked to drink. My father owned a bar. And, um, and I adored my father and couldn't stand my mother. And that's really the way it was. I always sort of understood my dad, um, but what was her problem, you know? It's really easy to, I think, explain the alcoholic, but how do you explain the Al-Anon, you know? They just get drunk, you sort of know what they do, but what is the non-drinker's problem? And um, so I, that's really the way it was. I adored my father. I sort of knew he got drunk, smashed up cars, did all those things, and um, but I didn't know what her problem was. And she taught me a lot of things I, that I did. Um, I learned, I was a good Al-Anon in training is what I was. You know, when my mom stood at the window waiting for my dad to come home in the middle of the night, you know, worried in her chenille little robe, I was there next to her in my little chenille robe looking out the window waiting for my father to get home, if he'd get home safe, if he'd smash up a car. And, um, you know, and then, of course, as soon as we saw him, we'd run to our respective beds and pretend we were asleep. And... Um, relieved he was home and really angry that he was drunk again and um, I learned all those things um, I learned not to um, I think I really learned not to believe what I saw what was in front of me my perception not to my perception is totally warped it really is and it carried me you know it's like my father would come home in a police car or smash up a car and nothing was said the next day and he'd start thinking did it really happen you know um I remember when Sean was drinking, and we, the two of us, up in our house in the Hollywood Hills, and um, he would have a bottle of wine. And I would say to Sean, you drank that whole bottle of wine. And he would say, I did not. And I would think, well, I wonder who did. I mean, I know I didn't drink it, but, you know, you start losing it. I mean, I started looking at this plant and then I was sitting here and realized there's a fish in there and I thought is there really a fish in there anyway my perception is still I still need to run a past an Al-Anon because I still don't trust what I always see so anyway um, so there I was in Cleveland Ohio I was raised I'm a recovering Catholic and that's just my perception um, I'm really working through my I, I really you know I still have a tinge I must say all this Catholic uh controversy sort of feels a little good but I try and let go of it because um, it feeds my resentment and um, but anyway it wasn't it was just my interpretation and um, so I had these nuns I had this father who drank I had this mother who I couldn't stand and uh, and my mother sent me to ballet class and thank goodness that's where I got my relief and I just sort of everything was fine at the ballet and I didn't have to worry about the arguments going on and uh, in my crazy family and um, and the secrets. You know, everything was a secret in my house. And I was a stutterer for years, even stuttered in school. And uh, that I'm up here speaking is, is really a miracle of the program. Um, because everything is a secret in our house. And everything was a secret. And everything still is a secret. Um, when I go to visit my mom, who is 91, um, she'll say, now call your Aunt Sophie and tell her you came in on Tuesday. Don't tell her you came in on Sunday. And uh, don't tell her we ate at Denny's. Tell her we ate at Wendy's. And everything is a secret. And uh, so no matter what I said, I was terrified because it was always the wrong thing, you know, always, because everything was a secret. Um, and it's still, I talk to my mom today. I talk to her just about every day. And, um, you know, she's, the secrets continue. And that's just part of alcoholism. She can't let anybody know about anything. Anyway, um, I knew I had to get out of that house. And... Um, the only way, I always say, a Polish Catholic girl leaves Cleveland in those days, um, over 30-some years ago, is I had a plan to move to New York to follow my dancing career. And in my heart, I, was, I knew I was leaving forever. Um, even though I told my mother I was going for three months just to give my dancing career a try. And so I packed my bags, and they gave me $50, and I thought, I'm leaving all my problems behind me. And um, I'm leaving my mother, my father, the drinking, the craziness. And, um, and little did I know is that when I packed that bag, I packed all my problems and took them with me. And I moved to New York City, 
And and I always say I was always this scared little Polish Catholic girl from Cleveland, and there I was in New York. I didn't know anybody who wasn't Polish till I moved to New York, really. <laughs> so it was quite quite an op- eye opening. And I and every time I really got afraid and scared, I'd call my mother, and she would give me this update on what's happening. And I just knew, I knew I couldn't go back. I knew I couldn't go back to that. My mother just talked at a pitch, and she screamed all the time. And I knew I had to um, I had to tough it out. And I got some jobs doing some shows, and it was beyond my wildest dreams. There I was in New York um, doing shows, dancing, my real passion that I absolutely loved. And at one of these shows, in walked this uh, tall, charming Irishman, and he was just adorable. Now, I tell you, before, it was really critical, before I moved away from Cleveland, I knew I had to get away. And my parents had one of those particularly awful fights that I remember everything about. I remember where I was standing in my mother's dining room, what I was wearing. I remember everything about the moment. And my father came home drunk and was getting really physically violent with my mother. And I knew that I had to get out of there. And I promised myself that I would never go out with or marry anybody who drank. So there I was in New York, and there was this tall, charming Irishman who was the life of the party, who drank. And I don't know what happened to that promise, but I just knew that life with me with me would be so wonderful that I would love him so much that the drinking would go away and I very much drank myself I was very much a 10 martini what the hell girl which my daughter seems to be now too but um, anyway um, so the drinking was not a problem it was just I you know I had this great looking guy on my arm Um, we were in New York it was exciting it was glamorous I was doing something I absolutely adored and um, and so he drank a little, you know. I just knew with me, once we got married, everything would be fine. And so we traveled. Uh, we were on tour, and the last stop was Los Angeles, and um, and we decided to get married there. And um, I was going to get married in Cleveland, but my mother hunted me down. God forbid, in those days, she found out because we had played Cleveland with the show, and the next stop was Chicago. My mother hunted me down in Chicago. She called every hotel and found out, God forbid, that we were living together. That was not terribly acceptable 30-some years ago for a little Polish Catholic girl. So my father threatened to come and shoot Sean, and, you know, they disowned me, and it was just very messy. And I thought, I don't need them. I can handle it by myself. Thank you very much. And I had to eliminate them. My mother called the producer of the show, Freddie Brisson, Rosalind Russell's husband. She tr- she tracked him down and asked him to fire me. But um, just uh, nothing like an Al-Anon with a mission, right? We can just, anyway. Um, so that's how it began. And so we stayed in California. And, um, and, you know, I look back now and the decisions we make, I don't know, you know, when when the alcoholic just becomes our obsession. You know, they always talk about when the drinker, when his social drinking crosses the line and becomes obsessive and alcoholic, you know, when they, when the cucumber becomes the pickle. Who knows? While it's being pickled, you never know when it crosses that line, right? Um, but once a pickle, always a pickle, right? But um, I, I don't know when the Al-Anon becomes obsessed. But I, by that time, I was obsessed. It was whatever Sean wanted. And I look back now, and the incredible thing was I never really danced again. Um, and I didn't give it a moment's thought. I didn't think about it, if I would like to do this, if this is good for me, if this was good for my career. I would be giving some up something that I had loved my whole life. And I gave it up in a New York minute without even thinking. That's what we do. That's what obsession does for all of us, doesn't it? And I never danced again. Never danced again. Never grieved about it. Never allowed myself even to think about it, even into many years in this program. I really didn't. And so we started our life in California. And um, we got married and settled down. And what happened is, it's really, I settled down, but he didn't. And that's when I thought he would, you know, we were wild and crazy, and I drank a lot then. And then I thought it's time to grow up now, you know. And so I just stopped drinking. And that's when I noticed his drinking. And then the insanity began. And it was just, I always say my story is not, is not very dramatic. 
Sean didn't go to jail. He didn't get arrested. He didn't go to hospitals. Our life was just the quiet insanity of day-to-day living with alcoholism, of not knowing what the problem is and trying to fix it. And I believed everything he would tell me, you know, anything to help him. He couldn't seem to get work, couldn't seem to get a job. I had three jobs, on the other hand. I don't know what the problem was, right? Um, But he used to say, gee, if he only owned some property, he'd be fine. So we bought this awful house up in the Hollywood Hills. It had no foundation. It had no heat. It was on the trail. It was really hidden. It's, you know, Sean always said he never hit his drinking, just hit the house in which he drank in. And that's what it was. And it was just the two of us. Our world gets very small. Um, family got eliminated out of our lives, and it was just the two of us. And, you know, California has mountains and oceans and beaches, and I never saw any of that. I just went to my house up in the hill where I could keep an eye on him, and I went to these various jobs that I had. And I was always calling him to check on him what he was doing, if he was drinking, how much was he drinking, if he was drinking a lot, what kind of trouble was he getting into. I mean, it was just on and on and on, my obsession with the alcoholic. And if only he would shape up, I would be okay, right? I mean, that's really what it was. And so I tried helping him, you know, if he only had a job. Then he said if he only owned a Mercedes, he wouldn't have to drink. I, I don't know why I believe that in Sandy. So he had a Mercedes, and he always talked about his classic Mercedes, but it wasn't a classic Mercedes. It was just an old Mercedes. <laughs> and every time it broke down, which was often, it was always hundreds of dollars. I mean, we didn't have money for food, but we had money for that <coughs> flipping car and money for alcohol. And, and that's what our life was like. It was just the two of us getting crazier and crazier. I didn't know I had choices. And all I did was become angrier and angrier. And I remember that was really the only emotion that I felt, really felt. You know, I used to have a little Shih Tzu dog who I got in New York long before I met Sean, and my little dog Friday was my pal. And I would be so angry sometimes, and I took it out. Thank God I didn't have children because I really took it out on that dog. I would pick up that dog and fling him against the wall, pick him up and fling him against the wall. And that anger, I just never knew where it would erupt. And um, and it, it erupted at um, a lot of people in retail, which I ended up doing a lot of retail. But God forbid you were the clerk at, at Ralph's because you got my wrath. You know, those were the people that I could really be nasty to. And um, anyway, that's what our life was like. It just got smaller and crazier all the time. And um, one night we had a really particularly vicious fight that um, that Sean just went to sleep and I never understood how he could have these arguments and he could just fall asleep you know I didn't really understand about passing out or blackouts at all I just thought how can he just go to sleep on me like that you know and um, anyway I was up all night really upset and he got up the next morning and he was fine and that's when I really got scared because I realized he didn't remember anything he didn't remember a thing of what had happened um, I got scared didn't really do anything about it. And really the only thing I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and I really, you know, I really talk about the denial of the alcoholic, but the denial of, of the spouse or the family members, because I had one friend left, and the two of us went to this tarot card reader. And I didn't remember this till years ago. Yeah, anything, looking for an answer, right, anything. And anyway, I remember this woman, she laid out the cards, and she looked at me, and she said, you know, somebody very close to you has a severe problem with alcohol. And I thought, talk about perception, who could that be? (laughs) I knew my father had a severe problem, but she said someone close to you. I was not close to my father. I mean, is that? I mean, I look back at that, and it was not long after that that Sean got arrested, and I happened to be out of town, and God's grace was with us because He really removed me because I'm Mrs. Mrs. Fix It. I'll tell you, if I, I always would make it somehow okay and everybody else's fault for whatever problem that was going on for Sean, I never put the problems together with the alcohol. Nor did he. Nor did he. But this time I happened to be out of town and. Um, and he got arrested, um, and I didn't know this until a week later, and he called me and said he had joined AA. And now I was not too impressed. 
uh, as I said, the only thing I really knew about Alcoholics Anonymous was that my mother would threaten my dad um, with Alcoholics Anonymous. And she would say, back in Cleveland, when he would come home on one of his vendors, she said, I'm going to call the double A men on you. <laughs> and that's what she called them, the double A men. And when she said double A man, she did not say it with great charm or endearment. It was like really to stoop to the bottom, you know. Um, and so she never called a double A man on him. So now here we were with the double A men. And um, so I came back and he had a week of sobriety and he was talking about these people in AA. And um, I thought, what is he getting me into now? Because... When I got to Al-Anon, I don't know about you, but we were joined at the hip. Whatever happened to him happened to me. If he was in a good mood and he came home, we were in a good mood. If he was in a bad mood, we were in a bad mood. If he got arrested, we got arrested. I don't know where I ended and he began. We were just so enmeshed. You know, we always say we're really like two crippled children trying to make one adult. And that's, you know, where his strengths were and my weaknesses. Sort of the two of us fit together and could sort of function. Sort of, and that's exactly what we were like. So, um, so we had a week of sobriety, and he was definitely different. And I had never known my husband sober. And he talked about AA, and people have this look in their eye. And I thought, oh God, what has he got me into now? And then he said that there was a place for me to go, and he was very happy to give me that information. <laughs> and um, anyway, I didn't have a chance to call anybody, but. A woman called me and said the exact words that I needed to hear. And the words were that I couldn't keep him sober, but I could help make sobriety a little easier. Now, that's not written anywhere in our our literature, but it was exactly the words that I needed to hear because I was still mishelp it. And so um, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, and, um, and I loved it. I absolutely felt at home when I walked in and I guess I had been walking around with this knot in my stomach and this anger and nobody understood nobody ever seemed to understand and suddenly there were a room full of people who were saying exactly how I felt and uh, I felt safe for the very first time I fear has always ruled my life I was always walking and my anger underneath my anger I always came across angry and people used to think I was very snobbish because I always sort of held my health head up high and just would march through things but what it was was stark raving terror I was just always terrified and uh, would never let myself feel the terror but just would be angry all the time and um, and so there I was so I went to Al-Anon and Sean went to AA and I'd like to tell you everything was wonderful ever since and um, and it has been and it hasn't been Uh, we've been truly blessed with the program but as you know um, I just, I don't know where I thought that recovery meant the absence of, absence of problems. I don't know. When you're new, you sort of want to hear that maybe. You want to hear that. Um, but it was a great blessing. I'm really, today I'm truly grateful that I married an alcoholic and I'm grateful I came from an alcoholic home because of the life I have today and all of these people and we're really blessed. We're really blessed. Um, but I didn't feel too blessed then, I'll tell you. I was a little pissed off. I was a little pissed off. And um, so we started on this journey. I started going to these meetings. I was told not to make any emotional decisions in the first six months of Al-Anon because, I'll tell you, I really wanted to leave. I thought, you know, he's got AA. I've got Al-Anon. There's way too much damage here. It's beyond repair. We should just go our separate directions. But I was told not to make that decision for six months, and he was told not to make that decision for a year. And... um, and we stuck to that because I was really grateful. I mean, I didn't know what I felt at that time. I loved him. I hated him. Wanted to be with him. Didn't want to be with him. Uh, terrified to be on my own. All sorts of things. And I started finding out about started finding out about me, and started putting the focus on myself, and started working the steps. And um, God, it was the first year of sobriety for me was just as bad, if not worse, than the last year of drinking. He was just, he was awful. He was impossible. He was so grouchy. He was so irritable. My, you know, all of those little games that we played were not working anymore, you know. Um, And I remember feeling, God, I wish sometimes he was so obnoxious, I wish he would just take a drink. 
And I remember feeling so guilty for having that feeling. And thank God for people in meetings uh, who could share, who have the courage to share what you're, what you're thinking but don't have the courage to share it, but somebody else will do it. And I remember somebody else saying that at my meeting. And it was just, and they said, that's okay. That's a normal feeling. It is because, you know, I knew the rules when he was drinking. The rules now were not applying. They didn't work anymore. He was starting to change. Um, and change was very scary. I didn't know if we'd stay together. I didn't know if I liked him sober, to tell you the truth. You know, when he was drinking, I mean, he was, he was always sort of pretty charming, I thought. You know, entertain everybody. And I could just sort of hide behind him. Now we were going to AA parties, and he was just going into the corner of the room and eating all their food. <laughs> so then I could watch his eating, you know. It's very easy to swish obsessions. Um, I can still watch his eating. I have to tell you, in that area, some things don't change. Because my husband loves fruitcake. You know, that awful Christmas fruitcake? Well, he eats fruitcake like he drank. He doesn't have just a slice. He eats the whole cake. Um, now, I never hit his drinking, but I, you know, I have to tell you, with all these years in the program, I hide the fruitcake. I hide the fruitcake. You know, I love when people come over to the house. You like to give them a cup of coffee and a little something to eat. Usually a little piece of fruitcake. You know, we get it from Texas. These friends of ours send it every year from Texas. And I just, I like a little bit of it. Okay. But... If I get home and he gets in the mail, he'll sit and demolish the whole thing. So, so I hide the fruitcake. And, um, and this is, again, where we can have a sense of humor about each other. Because I got the fruitcake, and, um, and I hide it. And then I'll bring it. I'll tell Sean at Christmas time. After dinner one night, I'll say, Sean, would you like a piece of fruitcake? And he goes, oh, it must have arrived, right? And um, so I have him close his eyes. And I hid all the ca- cupboards in the kitchen because I don't want him to know where it is. And I take it out and I give him a nice little slice of fruitcake. And um, and I'll even offer him two slices occasionally. And then he has to h- close his eyes and then I hide it. And it's a little game we have. You know, and I shared this. You know, we can laugh about it today. But, you know, the thing is, he shared it at, uh, we have this com- Christmas meeting with AAs and al and, you know, some of those Al-Anons, who were not well enough yet, brought him fruitcake. <laughs> they felt sorry for him. Can you believe that? Oh, I had to take them aside and tell them a thing or two, I'll tell you. Anyway, still gets the sympathy going for those Al-Anons. Um, so anyway, yeah, so he would go in the corner and eat everybody's food. And, um, and this was not, I was not too impressed. This was not the guy I wanted as a husband, I'll tell you. Um, but we started making some changes. We started doing things a little differently. I started taking my eyes off of him. And um, and I got, a, you know, with a great you know, black belt group of Al-Anons, uh, of which some of them are right here transplanted. And it's just so great. You know, God is just too cool to have some, some people that you met in the program years ago in California and here we are all together in Grand Island, of all places, huh? It's so great. And they knew me before I was so together now. <laughs> but it's great to have people know you from, you know, from what you used to be like. Because I was, you know, had you looked at the two of us as a couple, you would have said, Bonnie is the one with the problem. Sean arrived to his first AA meeting in his, in his old Mercedes. Um, but well-dressed. He had a sports jacket and tie, and they all knew he was drunk. But now I, on the other hand, arrived in my beat-up Volkswagen that looked like a drunk's car, and I used to wear these uh, long moo-moos in those days, early 70s. Uh, I had babushkas on my head. Um, they didn't know I had hair for the first six months in Al-Anon because I never got my hair done. I mean, we never had money. I mean, he could have a sports jacket, but I could never get my hair done. And my nails were bitten to the quick, and you didn't know I had uh, dimples or lips, I'll tell you, because I was mean. And, um, and, and my sponsor used to call me the brat, and she even gave me a T-shirt that said brat, and they called me the mouth, because I was just I was nasty and angry for a long time in Al-Anon. And um, anyway, so I started this journey about looking at myself, looking at myself. 
and it's so hard not to blame them, you know. You know, we lived in that awful house up in the Hollywood Hills that had no heat and foundation, and I blamed Sean for years about that house. Finally, my sponsor said, didn't you have to sign your name on that deed? You know, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I had to start looking at how I had participated in the insanity. It was really easy for me to blame him for everything. But you know, I was there and I was participating. And I will tell you, some of my solutions were worse than his. The solutions were worse than our problems many times. And um, so I had to start looking at me. And some little things like that had me focusing on what I was doing that was so crazy. That how I participated, that how I let everything happen. That I took away a lot of the responsibilities. I complained about everything. You know, I paid all the bills. I had three jobs when I came to this program. I was handling everything. And I was a little upset, you know. He was like six months sober and we were at an AA meeting. I remember he shared that he paid the gas bill and he practically got a standing ovation. Um, no, I was, you know, I've been paying the gas bill for years, you know. So thank God for Al-Anon. Because, you know, you guys get your pats on the back, but we certainly needed our pats on the back, you know that I could allow him to pay the gas bill now, you know, because I wouldn't allow him to do those things. You know, I remember he had that year of sobriety, and it was a really important story for me, and some of you might have heard it, but my sponsor said, you've got to think of something you're willing to turn over to Sean. And I thought about it for a long time, and there wasn't much I I was willing to turn over. Um, because she said, she had little key words. She said, when you turn, o- turn it over, you have to let go completely. Very hard for me. And... Um, and so I thought about it, and three weeks went by, and I thought, oh, God, I'm off the hook. I am totally off the hook. And, uh, but she remembered. She said, have you thought of something? And I said, yep, there's absolutely nothing that I trust him with. And that was true. There was no trust or respect in that marriage. And she said, well, that's just not going to work for me. There's got to be something. And so I came up with the laundry, and I turned over the laundry to Sean. And... Um, I wouldn't give him the bills and pay the and the money, that's for sure. Um, and so, you know, a week went by and he didn't do the laundry, and two weeks went by and he didn't do the laundry. And I called my sponsor and said, you know, these alcoholics, I could have told you this. You give them something to do. They never follow through. And she said, don't touch the laundry, you know. Um, you know, she said, it was like the alcoholic. You know, they say to the alcoholic, if the alcoholic wants a drink, before you take that drink, call somebody in AA. She said... Before you touch that laundry, you call somebody in Al-Anon, you know, because I was tempted to take it into my own hands. And um, three weeks went by, and there was nothing clean anywhere. The laundry is cascading, and um, he finally did it. And it came out awful, as I knew it would. But you know what? An incredible change happened out of something as silly and as stupidly you know, a stupid suggestion from my sponsor. But it was the first time that I gave Sean the dignity to do something in his time and his way. You know, before there was my way and the wrong way. They can still even happen today, I hate to say. But um, it was the first time I followed through on anything. I had never been consistent. You know, I always would say, do this or da da da. It wouldn't do it my way, my time. I would end up taking it back, and I ended up doing everything and resenting every minute of it. And that's how I got all my pats on the back, though, you know, because everybody would say, Bonnie, how do you do it? You're so wonderful to do everything and put up with him. You know, I said, yes, I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> not easy. Um, and it was the first time I started respecting him, and he started respecting me. And uh, and that's what we started building. And um, it's been quite a journey ever since. It has been quite a journey. And the longer I'm in this program, um, I guess I found the biggest problem today for me is me. The biggest problem for me is right between my ears. My thinking about myself, my thinking, my negativity, my worrying, my wanting control, my negative chatter to myself. You know, nobody is abusive in my life to me today as I am to myself. I mean, I'm really trying to work on that. Because I can still 
just knock myself down and beat myself up and uh, still feel like that scared, worthless little Polish girl from Cleveland, you know. And I know that's not who I am today. And I need to keep going to meetings because I feel I can easily fall back into that. Um, 28 years in the program, all the things that you change and go through. And we've had wonderful things happen and we've had some tragic things happen. And, and it has been an adventure. And I think life isn't just all, I would like it to be all one thing, but it's not. It's got its good times and its bad times and it's, and it's learning from all of it. And it's learning that I don't have to go through any of it alone. And um, we moved up to Canada and um, it was a great opportunity great opportunity uh, Sean was starting a business up there with his family and you know I keep waiting and I remember I always think of um, Peggy Martin God, I just love Peggy she's just one of my AA heroes and I always talk about you know I was in the program and it's like you know you work the program and you work the steps and traditions and things start things do get better it's like my ducks started getting in a row you know they all start just following the way I want them to, you know. And, but there's always one duck that's, like, not not marching according to my plan, you know. I don't know, it's a money duck or it's a kid duck or it's an aging parent or it's the alcoholic or there's some that's not all going my way. And, um, and that's been my experience. And I remember saying, you know, these ducks are just not all in a row. And um, I sat down. I remember I was sharing... It was here in Nebraska a, few, a number of years ago, and Peggy said, I liked your talk, but she said, i got to tell you something about your ducks. <laughs> she said, I've got some bad news for you. They're not your ducks. <laughs> and um, you know what? I am still working on that. They are not my ducks. And, uh, and that's a really, that is truly letting go and surrendering. I hate being powerless. Sometimes it's great freedom, but God, sometimes it's scary when it's just not going my way. Um, and it's just trusting, you know, it really is trusting. And I really think God put me up in Canada. Um, Al-Anon was great in, uh, in California, but I think God removed me because I needed to grow in another area. And, um, you know, I went from making my husband my higher power to making my sponsor my higher power. And then I think he moved me up to Canada to get my own higher power. And um, and that's what you really need to get in this program because sometimes things happen and and it's really all between you and God. It really is. It's really what it comes down to. It's really trusting. It's just trusting Him and knowing that I'm going to be okay no matter what. And we've gone through some real program. Um, I hate to tell you that. I, it's just life. It's just dealing with life on life's terms, you know. If you're going to be around this program long enough, I guarantee you're going to have a health problem, an aging family pr- person problem, a, a kid problem, something. And um, and it's not going to be the way you want it to be. And, um, and it's just trusting that God does have a plan. And out of seemingly bad things, good things do happen. And it's just trusting when you're in the middle of it. And this program has given me the courage to trust it when I'm in the middle of a crisis. Because I used to always want a quick fix. I want to fix it right now. I don't want to see the process and see how God is going to work it out. But thank God for the program has allowed me to do that. And God works it out in the most incredible ways that I would never think possible. And, um, yeah, we've had lots of things we've gone through. When Sean was five years sober, I came over one of my meetings, and, uh, and he told me he had gotten arrested. And um, I thought, God, this doesn't happen in sobriety didn't happen while he was drinking and um, and the miracle for me happened and I always talk you know I used to sit in those meetings and I would hear the words compassion and serenity and I thought oh, I'll never feel that on the inside you know if I can if my stomach could just stop churning for a few minutes I'll be happy I'll be happy with that but he told me what happened and you know, sometimes you don't know you change until something happens and you handle it in a totally different way. And you say, oh, who was that? You know, where did that come from? Because he told me what, that he got arrested, what happened. And instead of yelling and screaming and what have you done to me and why are you screwing up our life and blowing up our marriage, I could look at him and say, I am so sorry that you have to hurt yourself so much and actually feel compassion for him. And, and that's Al-Anon. 
That is truly Al-Anon. It doesn't just change your outsides. It truly changes your insides. And that is truly miraculous. Um, I don't even... I have so much to be grateful for and so much. I've gone through health problems and we've gone through money problems. Everything we moved up to Canada for, I thought, you know, my ducks are now in a row, you know. I had our dream house. Um, My husband had work that he was enjoying. Um, Financially, things were good. Everything just was great. I thought, ah, now we can just sort of, you know, it's all my way. And um, it was a business with the family, and the, the business fell apart. The family relationships fell apart. We had to sell the house, and uh, and we're all okay, and we're all okay. And uh, it's, again, trusting, and it's when those times are going on. And, and God rendered me powerless. I had a back problem that I ended up laying flat on my back for three months, unable to do anything. And God, to be able to trust the alcoholic to take care of things, it was terrible. It's just what a challenge. What a challenge not to be in control and just let it, you know, and the family did function. They did not do it exactly my way, but, you know, the family functioned. And um, and we have a great daughter. She was um, born when we were eight years in the program, and I'm really grateful. Um, she's adorable. She's 20 years old now. I can't believe it. And I just moved down to L.A. to go to school. And I am so glad she has moved out. Uh, She is adorable. But I don't know. um, And she's been raised in this program. God, we were eight years in the program when she was born. And she's just, uh, she's terrific. Um, But she's a real party girl. And I don't, but you know, I was a party girl too. I don't know. She'll either be a drunk, marry a drunk. Or maybe be both. But you know what? She knows where to go. Um, And we were going through a... And I know she knows where to go because a few years ago we were going through... Sean was going through work problems and health problems. And he was being a bit of a horse's ass. I know you find that hard to believe. But even with sobriety, he was being a horse's ass. And and I went... We were having a convention. And uh, and Sean decided not to go. He was going to stay home and be miserable. So I let him stay home and be miserable, and I went to the convention, and and um, and I was there with some other pals. You know, God, um, I don't know if anybody knows Ruby and Mel, who are good pals that we knew down in California, and she moved up to take care of her parents, but really God brought them up for us. And um, Kate was just got so upset with her dad at home that she came to the convention and knew she had people to talk to, and knew where to go, you know. So she is at so at home, and I know if she needs to go to the program, she knows she knows where the answer is. But it's certainly not going to come from me. I know that she's going to be on her own journey. So she's adorable, but we might be saving a seat for her. And um, um, life today is terrific. I've got to tell you about my mom, though. She's my biggest my biggest miracle in this program. Um, I've got lots of miracles um, today. I'm just I'm in a job that I just absolutely adore. I have found my niche and where I belong, and I feel like I'm finally deserving of it, and and talented enough to handle it, and I love it. And I'm doing public relations, and it's just great. Love being with people, but um, my mom is today one of my heroes. And I'll tell you, I hated my mom when I hated. I don't remember ever liking my mother, ever, ever, ever. And, you know, when you start working these steps, um, I got to that, um, that amends step. And I knew I had to make amends to my mom. I didn't want a relationship with my mother. I didn't really love my mother, but I knew I had to take care of my side of the street. And I started um, communicating with her. And so I sent her my first card, which was a very generic card that really didn't say much of anything other than thinking of you, and I sent it to her. And... I got my first card back from my mother, also a generic card, didn't say anything. And it was signed, Mrs. Jessie Lapka. <laughs> and our communication began. And I started writing her a little note. And she could send me a little note. And, you know, a couple years later, it was signed, Jessie. And we'd have a conversation even on the phone. And I, she was so obnoxious on the phone, and she always pushed my buttons, you know, that I'd hang up the phone and I would say, who needs it? 
What do I need her in my life for? I can't stand. It. You know, I remember when I was being when I was pregnant with Kate. I'm the only child. You would think she would be so happy for me. She would say, hi, Bonnie, how are you doing? How's the baby? Never. Anything. I would be so upset. She wouldn't ask a thing. My feelings would be so hurt. And I remember I'd hang up the phone and I'd go to my Al-Anon meeting. And I'd walk in that room and all those Al-Anons would say, Bonnie, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's the baby? You know, and I realized I was getting what I needed. I, well, I was not getting where I wanted it to get it from, but I was getting what I needed. And I started, um, so we started on this little thing. I'd go to visit her. And I'd get off the plane, and she would say, oh, you wear jeans now. <laughs> I know, and she would say, ah, oh, you're here for a week. Why bother come at all? And, um, you know, I would think, myself, why? Why am I bothering to come? Who needs this? I do not need this in my life. And, um, but, you know, we're taught a lot about learning about compassion for the alcoholic, but we really need to learn about compassion for other members of our family, the non-drinkers in our family. And there, for the grace of God, go I. Why am I the lucky one in the program and not my mom? And what I started doing was having a little compassion for her. And and I started being a little safer to be around, you know. So when she would say, what would you do to your hair? I didn't have to respond and say, well, what would you do to your hair? Who You know, I would just attack back. Suddenly I became safer to be around. And when I became safer to be around, she started saying the things that I wanted her to say. And we started building a really neat relationship. She was a terrible mother, but she was is a wonderful grandmother. She is just great. You know, it's like she can't praise her own. She's that old school. You don't compliment your own children, but she is great with her grandchild. And um, and that's probably also helped the relationship. And my mother today is one of my heroes. My mother, my mother's 91 and has 91 years of rage under her skin. She still has two sisters, 85, 87, who are practicing falling down drunks in her life. That make that are so mean to my mother. She still deals with them. I can't believe it. You could, you'd think they'd be dead by now, but you know it's just unbelievable. And um, anyway, but my mom got her first job when she was 69, lied about her age, and got a job in a kitchen in a restaurant and told them she was 60 years old. And my mother, until last September, she'd been there 22 years working at that job. Yeah, she's unbelievable. Till 90 years old. Um, she gets up at 4 in the morning and shovels the snow in Cleveland, Ohio to go to work. Uh, she is self-supporting through her own contributions, still has her house, has it all fixed up. Um, you know, new roof, bought herself a new car, driving yet. Oy, yay, yay. <laughs> but um, she is unbelievable. She is unbelievable. And, you know, I realized I told everybody, and I tell people from podiums that she's my hero, and we have a wonderful relationship today. Today I can actually say I'm, I love my mom, and I had no intentions of loving her. It all started by just taking care of my side of the street. And um, so I realized, you know, I never told her that she was my hero. So I wrote her this long letter, and I just told her how proud I am of her, how much I love her, and what she's accomplished. You know, my mo- she absolutely blossomed when my father died. It's unbelievable, you know. And it also said to me, Bonnie, you better not wait till Sean dies for you to blossom here. <laughs> You better start blossoming now. You've got the tools. And um, anyway, I wrote her this letter, and I just um, I sent it off to her, and I waited for her response. And um, and she finally did call. And she, <coughs> we don't share a lot. I mean, it's a great relationship, but we don't share a lot. But from where we've come, it's unbelievable. And all she said was, I got your letter, and it was very nice. And that's all she could say. And, you know, she doesn't have to say it now. You know, when my mother comes, she cooks. That's how she says I love you. She can't. She doesn't have to. I don't have to give her a list on how I want her to love me, you know. Uh, today I can see how she does it. And um, unfortunately, last September she's had a series of, um, my mother's healthy as an ox, Polish, strong Polish worth ethic and strong Polish stock. And she's had uh, three strokes, um, one in September, one in October, one in November. And I was flying back, and it was very hard. And i got to tell you one other thing. I have a cousin who is in this program because this disease absolutely continues. Um, she's this other aunt's daughter, the one who's falling down drunk yet. 
And it's my cousin Chris, who I absolutely adore. You know, our family is so riddled by alcoholism, nobody talks to anybody. I remember I spoke in Cleveland, and, um, and my cousin, who I 12-step, when we were about eight years in the program, she came out for Thanksgiving, and we used to have these big Thanksgiving dinners. And she didn't know we were in the program at that time. It was Thanksgiving, and I said, well, we get together, and we have this combined meeting, and uh, would you like to come along? And she came to that meeting. And she had been going to Al-Anon ever since, and that's some 20-some years now. And uh, then she also ended up in AA, and she's got, you know, about 15 years in AA. And we started getting a wonderful relationship, a wonderful relationship that I absolutely cherish because we don't speak to any other members of the family. And I got to speak in Cleveland where she still lives, and we went to a retreat, and she got to be on the podium and introduce me. And we can share now. I mean, it's just, just so special. But what is incredible is that my mother had these series of strokes and um, I'm in Vancouver she's in Cleveland I'm the only child it's really I, I wish I was you know I could just leave my work and fly and I can't I mean I need a job we got to pay bills and I can't just be back and forth and back and forth and so my cousin Chris was sort of my eyes and ears there and helping me out and which was great and uh, I flew back. Mother was in the hospital. Mother doesn't want me out there. She doesn't want to be in the hospital, and stubborn as can be. And, um, but what happened is I came back to Vancouver. My mother was home and sort of doing okay and recovered from the stroke. Unbelievable. I mean, she's like Miss Spicy, strong person. She's going to get her life back the way it was. She's going to go back to work. And you know what? She's just about doing it, I'll tell you. Um, but she had another little stroke, and my cousin called, and um, she said, you know, your mother is just my first priority when I get up in the morning. She has taken over my whole life. I feel it's, it's taken over my job. Uh, I can't do my job. It's taken over my relationship. Da-da. And I thought, and I said, you know, God, you know, you have expectations of people in the program. I said, Chris, I, I don't want it to take over your life. You know, I didn't ask you that it take over your life. You know, and she said, I feel so sorry for your mother. She's all by herself. She's just like I am. She has nobody to rely on here. And um, I feel sorry for her life. And I said, you know, it's the life my mother chose. I did ask her to move up to Canada. She refused. She absolutely refused. She wants to live at home. You should put her in a nursing home. I can't handle all of this. You should be here. And um, and I said, you know, Chris, I just she's my mother, and I don't. You don't need to take on that kind of responsibility. I appreciate what you're doing. Well, I'll tell you, she took it the wrong way. And it brought up all these feelings. God, you can't say anything to any member of the family because you know what happens. They're going to eliminate you out of their life. That's the way my Polish Catholic family works. So I called my cousin Chris because I was coming again to see my mother in December. And we had we used to have great conversations. Every week we talked to each other. It was just great. So I said, I'm coming out. Love to see you. And she said, I don't think so. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I'm still upset by it. 15 years of sobriety, 20-some years in Al-Anon, you think. I said, well, when I come out, maybe we could have a cup of coffee and talk it over. And she said, I don't think so. Oh, I tell you, I felt like, oh. You know, when you finally sort of mend those relationships in a family. Oh, sorry. Anyway, I went back. And I did give her one more call. I thought, I'll just tell her I'm here and see if she would like to meet me. And I'm going to tell her it's in her court. So anyway, I did call her, and she said, yes, I'll meet you. So we met for coffee, and I took care of my side of the street. And that's all I could do. I apologized if I hurt her feelings. It, maybe I said it in the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe she took it the wrong way. That was not my intent. My intent was I didn't want it to ruin her life. It shouldn't affect her health, her work. Maybe I asked her to do too much and take over too much responsibility. And um, 
And she looked at me and said, you know, things were said that never should have been said. And um, and I said, you know what, I love you very much. I value you in my life. But I will leave it up to you whether you want me to continue in your life. That's all I can do. I can apologize. That was certainly not my intent in any way. And I've had to let it go. And I've had to let it go. And I have to put it in God's hands. I don't know. You know, you think you get to this program and they get to the program and you think you can talk things over now. I mean, even if they took it the wrong way. God, I've had other Al-Anons that maybe I've said something that they've taken the wrong way that you could say, gee, you know, you really hurt my feelings. But you see what happened and it brought back that old fear because you say something wrong. You can't say anything wrong because you know what? They will eliminate you out of your life. And you know what? It's happened. So all I can do is put her in my prayers, keep her in my circle of love, and pray for her and turn over the relationship. I've dropped a couple of notes to her um, that I love her, that I miss her in my life. And um, and she's stopped calling my mother, too. I mean, she's just cut off the whole thing. And, you know, I had to realize, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm responsible for everything. God, if I had said this. And you know what? It wasn't me. You know, I used to take that on all the time. God, I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have done this. And you know what? I didn't really do anything wrong. I think this is really more about her, and that's perfectly all right. And you know, I can allow her time to be and to heal. And you know, it's almost like starting again with my mom, sending the little notes. And I sent her a note and said, you know, God, I miss you in my life. You know, my heart aches for you, but you're in my prayers. And um, I got a card from her starting on Mother's Day. And it said, dear, and it was one of these cards. <laughs> you, know, you know, I could be really obnoxious, too. Um, <laughs> it was one of these that you get from a, a convent. You know, they're going to say a novena for you. I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, she probably thinks I need a lot of praying for. And uh, and I thought, you know what? I can decide how I want to take this. I can look at it how I, it's her way. I'm going to decide to take it that it's her way of reaching out. You know, and you know what? I can use all the prayers that I can get. I really can. I really can. And so I'm just to- totally. Coming from love, I don't have to be resentful and allow her to be who she is and allow her to heal. And I think this has a lot, you know, and I also said, you know, maybe this is all happening because there's some other areas that we both need to heal with our family. And, um, God, I am just so grateful for this program. I really am. Um, The life I had today, that I don't have to go through things alone. that I um, I don't know. I just feel so great about myself. Uh, it's been a long journey of taking my eyes off of Sean. It really has. It's been a long journey. I tell you, I was really pissed off that he was not taking care of me the way I wanted to be taken care of. And then I realized that I need to be self-sufficient in every way, in every way, and take care of myself. It's been a real weaning. You know, I just... Uh, you know, I married my solution. That's what I thought. You know, we got to this program, and I know he's not my solution, but I think somehow in the back of your head that you want him to be your solution. You want him to make it okay so I don't have to do the things I'm afraid to do. Right? Um, and out of that, out of taking that, wanting him to take care of me, I have been taking care of myself. Um, and I think it's absolutely you know, out of seemingly bad things, good things happen. I feel better than I have ever felt about myself. I feel more confident than I've ever felt. I enjoy my work, and I know I can handle it. Um, I never used to feel that way. I know that I am capable making a living of taking care of myself in the manner that I would like to be accustomed, that I don't need him to do it. And I don't want that kind of relationship anymore either. So it's taken a long time to learn that. Um, I just keep coming back, and uh, my life is just filled with miracles. And uh, uh, 
I'm really glad to be here. I'm so, I, I feel so at home here all the time in, in Nebraska. You guys just have a great program. You welcomed us all the time. Um, I thank the committee for inviting us, for being here, for the um, oh, the gifts and um, and the gifts of seeing our friends who are just so great to see. Um, they always say, you know, we've known each other for years now. I love that line that there are three stages of life, youth, middle age, and you haven't changed a bit. And they haven't changed a bit. <laughs> and um, I just, I love this program. I can't think of a place I'd rather be. We are just so blessed to have it. We're so blessed to have each other. And please don't leave before your miracles happen. Thanks. Thank you.